Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Uh, Refuge Student Ministry, so you can be dismissed. Oh, everybody's already gone. So, we're in Life's Healing Choices. This is part three. Let me see a prayer right here at the beginning, and we'll jump into it. Uh, I'll start it, Valerie will finish it. Uh, just like our arguments at home. Did I say that last week? I think I did. Right. Thank you. Because <laughs> it's so true. Uh, let's say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. Speak to us through this. Challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> We're kicking off our recovery ministry this year, Mission Recovery. And uh, Chance and Bridget, love y'all. They're, they're a big part of that. We're going through uh, the book Life's Healing Choices which is kind of our basis, and we're looking at the Beatitudes and how they relate to recovery ministry. When I say recovery, people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And the nine Beatitudes are uh, part of this book, Life's Healing Choices, and how they correlate even with the 12 steps from uh, the big book. And each Beatitude begins with the familiar, Blessed are, and Jesus promised blessing to those who are experiencing what is mentioned in each beatitude. The Greek word for blessed, this is a little review and introduction. The the Greek word for blessed is makaios, which means happy, but it's not a surface or shallow, sappy kind of happy. It's happy at the, the deepest sense of the word. And it's interesting to note that the last word in the Old Testament is curse, And the opening word from Jesus' first actual sermon is blessed. It's just a great contrast there. The tense is also interesting. Blessed are. It's not blessed were or blessed will be in the future, but blessed are those right now who are experiencing what we see in these Beatitudes. We looked at two of the Beatitudes, so I want to read the passage again. We'll stop uh, with the Beatitude that we're going to tonight. So, Matthew 5, I'm going to start with verse 3, Trey. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then tonight's, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, the meek. The Greek word for meek is prowess, and it's a big word, even though it's a small word as far as the number of characters in it, but it's really big. It can't be fully translated with just one English word. There's no equivalent to this little Greek word. David Guzik points out that it carries the idea of the proper balance between anger and and indifference. In other words, it's having a powerful personality, powerful attributes that are displayed in humility and control. So, in the Greek language, a meek person was not passive or easily pushed around, but was also not rash and not quick-tempered. 
me and my cousin Randy, we used to ride horses. I've told some of those crazy stories. We, we, would, we, we were little boys, and we would go to my uncle's farm. He had no idea. I just told my 80-something-year-old uncle about this, and he was shocked. He was terrified. But me and my cousin Randy, we would take these big old horses. We'd saddle them up ourselves, put bridles on them, get on those bad boys, and ride all over the farm. And then we'd get thirsty. And so we would ride over to Interstate 20, ride down a hill, get on the side of the interstate, ride the horses, and go up and, and take an exit and go to Kelly's Truck Stop in Greenwood, Louisiana, tie off our horses like cowboys on a TV show, hop off, go inside, take the change out of our pockets, buy an RC Cola and a moon pie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't know what you're missing. I give me an RC Cola and a moon pie. And then we'd get back on our horses and get back on the interstate, you know. Go back, cut up the hill, and go back to the farm. And so, but but there were some there were several horses that we rode. This there was this paint that we couldn't ride. She was wild, just wild, man. We just couldn't hardly control her. We did try to ride her. She bucked us off, okay. And then uh we we rode uh uh, Dove was this Appaloosa. She was uh, very gentle. She was the best one. Then there was this other one that we called Giant, Big White Horse. And he was pretty gentle and stuff, but man, like you never knew. He might, you know, I remember riding him one time, and there was a creek, and we're coming to the creek, and I thought, well, we're going to go down the side of the, the, the bank into the creek and then come up on the other side. I'm a, I'm a cowboy, man, in my mind. I'm a cowboy. And so as we start to go down, old giant decided I'm just going to I'm just going to jump the creek. I had no idea. So we're like going down and all of a sudden he's like like jumps the creek. I held on but barely scared me to death. That horse was so powerful. All those horses were compared to little boys like they were so powerful and and yet Yet, if you put a bridle in their, in their mouths and you got that saddle right and you acted halfway confident, there was some control. There was strength that was controlled. That's what meekness is. It's like a big old horse that is trained and not running wild. He's, that, that strength is under control. Many assume meek means weak. Tame, lacking in courage. But the Bible understanding of meekness is power under control. Jesus described himself as meek and lowly. Now, check this out. That did not contradict the fact that when he walked into the temple twice and he didn't like what was going on, this is power and control. He, he didn't rashly go crazy on these people. He sat down. The Bible says he sat down and he wove a whip together. Now, he was really mad. But this is power under control. This is meekness. I'm meek and lowly, not weak and passive. He weaves a whip. He gets up and he kicks over the tables. Bam! Money's flying everywhere. Sheep running crazy, doves flying, 
I mean, it's just, it's a madhouse. And he's got a whip and he's driving people out of the temple. And he's saying, you, you, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. What have you done? This is my house. You've made this a den of thieves. And he's, he, that was Jesus, meek and lowly. So it's not passive. It's not weak. It's power under control. Power under God's control. What that means is it's the refusal to inflate your own self-worth. And it is the reticence to assert yourself for God's plans and purposes. Paul captures the idea from Romans 12. For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, listen, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given him. So to not think of yourself more highly. Meek people see themselves as God sees them. They have a servant's heart. God calls them a son or a daughter of the Most High. They're okay with that. And this is vital. Meek people do not overthink, you know, or uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm trying to think? They don't think too highly of themselves, but they don't think too lowly of themselves. They don't have a superior art superiority complex or an inferiority complex they neither one they see themselves as God sees them and meek people also understand that it's not because of who I am it's because of who I belong to right it, it's it's that idea it's because of this relationship with God we've already kind of gone through the the first beatitudes you know the, the poor in spirit, they that mourn. It's the idea that I have nothing to offer God. And, and then, you know, I'm so sorry for that. But then I see hope because God will do for me what I can't do for myself. And now we have power that is under control. Now, listen to this. We don't ignore our strengths and abilities just because we're meek. When people ask Jesus if he was the Messiah, Here's what he said. You ready for this? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear the dead. Uh, the deaf hear the dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. So he neither had a superiority complex or an inferiority complex. He had a word complex. He had a Bible identity. Paul would call that sober judgment up there in Romans. He saw himself as God saw him. Check this out. In the Old Testament, Moses is described as the meekest man on earth. Numbers 12 and 3. The meekest man on earth. Numbers. Do you know what the book of Numbers is in in your Bible? The Pentateuch, also known as the Mosaic Writings. Do you know who wrote Numbers? And Moses said, Moses was the meekest man on earth. <laughs> he saw himself as God saw him. He knew who he was in the Word. And, and that's just, that's so vital. 
knowing who you are in the Word. I wrote a whole book on that. Submitting to God, to His Word, to His will, to His ways is the crux of meekness. Really, when Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he's quoting a psalm. Do you know that? He's quoting Psalm 37. And you can look at it really in that, that whole psalm, 37, especially 1 through 11. It, it, the first part of uh, verse 11 is kind of where it goes through. It starts like this, do not fret because of the wicked, but it ends like this, the meek shall inherit the land. He's quoting a psalm. So it means that we curb our urge to avenge the wrongs done against us, and instead we use whatever power we have to serve the Lord, to help others, to see God's plans and purposes move forward. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? If you think about it, meekness flows from that second beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. So how can we feel vengeful for anybody that's sinned against us or anybody else's sin when we're truly sorrowful for our own, right? It's, it's the idea that the meek have a divine perspective. Everybody say divine perspective. And really, that's, that's what the Beatitudes are all about. This, this you know, and again, don't, don't mistake weak, uh, meek for weak. Uh, I've got some quotes for you. Uh, some of the guys that I, I look at when I'm studying this stuff. Carson says this, in general, the Greeks considered meekness a vice because they failed to distinguish it from the excessive and unhealthy desire to please others. That's the way they viewed it. Hmm, that's a weakness. Carson goes on, to be meek towards others implies freedom from malice and a vengeful spirit. That's part of meekness. Poole says this, the meek can be angry but restrain their wrath in obedience to the will of God. They're not easily provoked by others. Power in control. F.F. Bruce says this, These are the men and women, the meek, who suffer wrong with, without bitterness or desire for revenge. The first two beatitudes are mostly inward. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. But this one, this one deals with how we relate to others. The first two are negative. The third one is, is a positive. Blessed are the meek. Um, to, to, to be meek means I'm willing to submit to God's will and live my life under His authority. I lay down my own rights and yield to His even when under pressure. The meek beatitude is the nevertheless beatitude. It's the nevertheless be attitude. It's the attitude of nevertheless. It's that Jesus prayer, that prayer of consecration. If it's possible, let this come. If not, nevertheless. It's that meekness on a cross that could have called down 10,000 angels 
destroyed the world, been set free, wiped all these Romans out. Instead of that, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a meekness. He had the power. He told them, you don't take my life. That's meekness saying that. I know who I am. You can't take my life, but I can lay it down. I can make it look like you're taking my life. I can let you take my life. But you're not taking my life. I'm giving my life away. That's meekness. Meekness gives of their life. Meekness is surrendered to the will of God. That's And really, the greatest test of meekness is not within, but without. Check this out. It's one thing for me to admit my own spiritual bankruptcy. Oh, I'm just spiritually bankrupt, you know. The poor in spirit, they that mourn. But when someone else comes up to you and says, let me tell you how messed up you are. That's from without, right? Well, then that's when meekness steps in. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I, I know. that. That's How do you react to that? Blessed are the meek. I submit to his will. I conform to his word in Christ. In Christ, I'm strong. I can do all things through Christ. And I can subdue this flesh in humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering. Adam Clark says this, and this is a good one. Our word meek comes from the old Anglo-Saxon mecca or mika or makia, companion or equal is what it means. Because he who is of a meek or gentle spirit is ever ready to associate with the lowliest of those who fear God feeling himself superior to none and well-knowing that he has nothing of spiritual or temporal good except what he has received from the mere bounty of God, having never deserved any favor from his hand. And here's the promise that comes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What could possibly make us want to be meek and submit our the control of our you know our strong desire for us to have our own way to submit all of that to God what could possibly make us want to do that here's what it is we are confident in God he's watching us he's watching out for us he's got my back and that that's really the the promise of they shall inherit the earth. God will not allow the meek to end up on the short end of the stick. I, I'm almost done here. Valerie's about to, Come on up here, Valerie. Spurgeon says this, or not, it doesn't matter. Spurgeon says this. I could go on and on. Spurgeon says this. It looks as if they would be pushed out of the world. But they shall not be, for they shall inherit the earth. Listen to this. This is so good. The wolves devour the sheep, yet there are more sheep in the world than there are wolves. And the sheep continue to multiply and to feed in green pastures. The meek shall inherit the earth. Listen to this. He said, I had only to look upon uh, I, I had only to look upon it, all as the sun shone upon it, and then to look up to heaven and say, 
my father, this is all thine, and therefore it's all mine. For I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So in this sense, the meek-spirited man inherits the whole earth. Isn't that good? All right. Let's give it up for the first lady of this house. Which I'd never say. Just give me the microphone. What are you saying? Awesome. I hope you guys are enjoying uh, going through the Beatitudes. And I hope you're enjoying going through the book, Life's Healing Choices. This is, this is just, it really has been a blessing. I've really enjoyed it. And so I'm just going to close it out with just a brief summary. This is chapter 3 in your book of life, Life's Healing Choices, chapter 3, Letting Go. And so, of course, uh, the word meekness, the concept of meekness is going to be connected with the concept of letting go. Uh, Matthew 5.5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our book kind of paraphrases this beatitude in this way. Consciously choose to commit all of your life and your will to the Lord's care and control. Here's the thing. The pain we struggle with is real pain. And the issues we struggle with, either due to our own flaws or the flaws or mistakes or others, but nonetheless, they are real issues. And uh, they hurt. They hurt. And so you're not less of a person because if you're trying to, you know, if you're feeling pain, it's just what are we going to do with that pain? Uh, are we going to uh, ignore it? Uh, deny it, uh, numb up, uh, what can we do to get rid of it? So uh, then, you know, we feel stuck trying to keep it all together while we're trying to deal with this pain. And uh, where do we get stuck? In unhealthy relationships, addictive habits, uh, depression and anxiety. I'm stunned at the amount of people that have received a diagnosis of anxiety and depression, uh, taking meds that were not invented to be taken long-term. They were invented to be taken on a short-term basis with counseling. That's why if you take them long-term, you end up with incurable illnesses like tardive dyskinesia, which there is no cure for. There's no cure. And it only comes from taking those meds long-term that were never invented to be taken long-term. Pornography, unhealthy relationships, this is where we get stuck. And we cannot get unstuck on our own power. So what sets in is what the book refers to, we talk about despair. And I have a picture of the cycle of despair. And this is out of the book. So what happens? I'm in despair because of all the pain and all I'm doing to try to cover it up, right? Well, so because I'm messing up, I feel guilt. And I feel so guilty because I'm trying to get over this addiction. I'm trying not to fall into the trap again, but I do. 
So then I'm angry. I'm angry at myself. I'm angry at whoever I feel like put this in my life and gave me this hang-up in the first place, a bad relationship, whatever it is, right? Well, then I'm fearful. I'm just, I, you know, fear sets in. You know, I don't have control. There's just no control. I have no, There's nothing I can do. I'm trapped. I'm in a trap. Well, then I'm hopeless, so I'm depressed. Well, when I'm depressed, I don't want to face the day, and I don't want to do this, and I'm less than I should be here. And so then what happens? I feel guilty again. And it's a loop. It's a loop. I'm stuck, right? And so... Um, we start to feel guilty. Many uh, failed attempts lead to anger. Eventually, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups are in control. That's what's driving us around the loop. Our hurts, habits, and hang-ups are driving the car around the loop that never ends. Remember that was that? This is the song that never. This is the loop that never. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, how do we break out of the cycle of despair? Well, I'm glad you asked. Chapter, we know from chapter 1, it starts with the reality choice, where you admit your need. And then from there, we move to chapter 2, the hope choice, believing that you matter to God and that only He has the power to help you. And so when we have... Process those two, two concepts. We're ready to move on to this chapter, chapter 3, the commitment choice. Now we are ready. This is where the Lord asks us to lay down our pride and be meek. Uh, so uh, what would hold me back from such a wonderful thing? Well, there's a lot. But the, the book, this chapter focuses on five, and I just want to briefly mention them right now. Uh, just quickly run through them. The first one, uh, what would keep me from letting go, the first thing is pride. And as Donovan said, in reality, meekness and weakness are opposite ends of the spectrum. They really are uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. In fact, the Greek word for meekness means strength under control. But meekness is a surrender of the power. It is submitting and agreeing to do what God wants done in your life. Hanging on to pride brings one thing in this life, just a greater dose of pain. Pride just ups your pain level. Mix it with some deception, and you've got pride. More pain, more deception, you got pride. That's it. Arrogant people, prideful people, are always on their way to ruin. You know what I mean? Like, where were you going today? Well, I was trying to go down 73, and man, this one way, it was super crowded. Well, then it wasn't so bad coming back. Where are you on your way to today? Well, here's the deal. If I've got pride in my heart, I'm always on my way to something worse, to, to a fall. Pride's going, I'm always headed to the fall. Uh, the second thing that keeps us from commitment is guilt. We may be ashamed to ask God to help us because we've tried and failed him so many times. Um, 
you know, a lot of people have guilt and they come and pray and, you know, you just you can just feel that oppressiveness when they're up here praying like they just can't forgive themselves because they've tried and failed. Well, here's the deal. Guilt is really the B side of pride because the focus is still on you. If you're focusing on what you can or can't do, the focus is still on you. It's just, remember the A side of the album and the B side? Remember this album, right? The, the B side is, pri- is, is, is pride. The B side of guilt is pride. And so um, that embarrassment, that's just the B side of pride. Uh, he wants to forgive you of all your guilt. Hello, he died on the cross for our guilt and shame, did he not? Uh, Another thing that keeps us from commitment is fear. Fear takes so many forms, doesn't it? I mean, it's like a a custom-made outfit just for you, right? Just for me. My fear sweater... Is it's like it was it fits me like a glove, doesn't it? It, it you know, it, it, it's like all the triggers, my triggers or my own triggers, they have to be mixed just right. Like if you want that bread to rise just so, you had to balance the water had to be warm enough. The egg really does have to be room temperature. You know what I mean? Like everything has to be just right, and you get it together. That's how you're. That's how you are with fear sometimes. It just triggers you just the right way, and all of a sudden, there you are, right? And um, sometimes because of that fear, we're afraid to trust God. We're afraid to trust God. Um, And it reminds me, and it's kind of in the book, but I think I tell it better. The old joke of the guy fell off the cliff, right? And on his way down, he grabbed hold of a branch, and he said, Lord, if you're up there, help me. And the Lord spoke and said, let go, I'll catch you. And he said, is there anyone else up there? (laughs) Right? And uh, that's fear. Uh, But isn't it true that sometimes God is, his other name is our last resort? We're, because we're afraid of losing control. I can't tell you, and I won't tell you, The people that have called me when they're sick, listen, I've made some promises. If I get over this, I'm going to be different here. I'm going to stop doing this here. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to be different because, oh, I've had a health scare. So I'm going to be better. And then they got better in some ways. In other ways, they just could not let go of control. I'm, I'm not talking about people I met at the bar. Uh, I'm talking about church attenders, right? Faithful Christians. Yeah, that God's called them and dealt with them and called them and dealt with them. And they don't want to give up. They only want to give up so much control, right? That's a form of fear. That's a form of fear. And um, so uh, in truth... We are all controlled by someone or something at all times. Now, I'm going to say that one more time, and I want you to think about what I'm saying. Here is a truth. You, everybody say me. 
you are controlled by someone or something at all times. It might as well be God. He's the only one. He's the only one that knows what to do with you. He knows better than you know what to do with you. Look at Isaiah 44, 22. Uh, I got this in the NIV. I like this in the NIV. That's the book I'm reading this year. I have swept away all your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That word redeem means I bought you back. Come on back to me. I bought you. I already paid for you. Come on back. I paid the way for you to have the peace that you're searching for in other areas. The Bible tells the story about the man that lived among the tombs. Because I make notes. This is my church Bible. This is my church Bible. It's got wide margins. I take notes on every sermon that's preached every Sunday and Wednesday, right? I also write down other things. Everyone that gets baptized, everyone that gets the Holy Ghost goes in that Bible. So because I keep such meticulous Bible notes in church, I can tell you, just as a fun fact, that this story, Donovan preaches on this story more than any other story in the Bible. This is a statistical fact. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's because he was running around outside naked. I hope not. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, according to my Bibles, not just this one, the one before that, he preaches on this. Now, see, you're gonna, every time he mentions it, you're going to think about it. He preaches on this story more than any other in the Bible. So the man at the tombs, demons tormented him. Just like some of your inner demons are tormenting you, but you got your clothes on, thank God it could always be worse. <laughs> Couldn't it? But when the man ran to Jesus, took his demons with him, he was healed, put in his right mind, set free, went on to live the life that God called him to live. So what are you afraid of? What are you holding on to? Listen, I want you to ponder this. Here's an experiment. Clear your mind. Everybody clear your mind. Olivia, I feel like your mind's not clear. <laughs> clear your mind. All right, so when I ask you this question, focus in on the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? What are you holding on to that makes you think, I can't let go? Now, what, think, now, in your heart, remember the first thing that came to your mind, and that's your homework. That's, some, that's what you need to work on. There's, there's, a, there's some homework right there. Put some word on it. And be healed of it. So, let's look at uh, uh, Mark 8.36. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he lost his soul? If it's a relationship, an ambition, a habit, a lifestyle, a possession, 
If it's something that you don't want to let go of and God's telling you you need to let go of, it's not worth your soul. The fourth thing that keeps us from committing uh, is uh, worry. Worry causes us to confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. Now, I didn't understand that when I first read the sentence, but I enjoyed the example in the book. Consider when you decide... Christy and Danny, I thought about y'all when I this. Consider when you decide, I'm going to buy a home. Except you did worse. You said, I'm going to build a home, which is harder, I know. But consider when you decide, I'm going to buy a home. Consider all the issues, problems, dare I say torture, that lie in between the decision when you were out on a romantic dinner and y'all said, you know what we should do? We should buy a home. Consider that one decision all the way over to the first night you slept in the house. Okay, there was just a whole lot in between, wasn't there? Uh, a whole lot. Um, just make the right decisions and let God worry about the problem solving. You see what I'm saying? Let God worry about all in between. You just keep your focus on him through the problems, through the issues, and dare I say torture, right? The roller coasters. Yeah? Anyone ever been through that when you was trying to buy a house? It's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? And they make it that way on purpose. I know they do. It's just, it's an up and down, isn't it? So uh, just make the right decisions. Make your decisions based on the word. That's how you define right decisions. They're based on the word. And let God take care of the problems. Okay? And so um, the last one is doubt. Uh, Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus did not reject this man. He heard those honest words and said, okay, that's good enough. Step aside, I'll take it from here. It's not the size of your faith that matters. This, this story proves that. This is not the size of your, it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's who or what you got your faith in that matters. Whatever size it is. Who or what you got your faith in. You can have giant faith in the wrong things. Giant faith in your money, in your credit score, in your relationships, in your, all your degrees, in your business. You'll always come up empty. It's just a matter of time. It's faith in God that produces amazing results. That's it. So... Chapter 3 of this book uh, does uh, consider uh, itself the salvation chapter of the book. So they do lead like a sinner's prayer kind of thing and say, congratulations, you know, you'd shake my, you could shake my hand if I was here. We call that repentance, right? And so um, the, the choice to commit is the choice to salvation. Commit to repent. Commit to turn to the Lord, right? 
Uh, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, commit to be baptized, even if that means being rebaptized, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I would say to us tonight, who I think everyone in here has the Holy Ghost, I would say commit to praying in the Spirit. I would say on a daily basis. I would say consider it your new drug, your new prescription, your new addiction. Commit all your life to his will, his care, and his control. Because isn't the Holy Ghost called the comforter? And don't we, listen, if you're walking in meekness, if you're walking with power under control, right? You know what you need? You don't need any of, you don't need habits, hurts, and hangups. You need the comforter. That's what you need. And chapter 3 is just about, Submitting to the comforter. Right? So go ahead. Let's just stand up tonight. Kevin, come on up here. Donovan, come on up here. I left you two minutes to wrap it up. Come on, that's so good. That's really so good, man. The, the meekness, you know, poor in spirit, they that mourn, and then meekness. I, I just, I, I turn it all over to you. You come into my life, and there's a, a power that I, I couldn't have had otherwise. And I acknowledge that. I, I realize I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are past. Behold, all things have become new. I can do everything he's called me to, to do. I can be everything he's called me to be. That's who I am. That whole fresh, no wonder the meek shall inherit the earth, as Spurgeon said, like, I'm an heir with God and a joint heir with Christ. Like, this, this is who I am. It's that surrender. And, man, that's just, that's a drug. That is a drug. To, the Bible says of itself that it is like medicine. It's a prescription that God's given us to take that word and that reality and to ingest it, to renew our minds with it, because that's who we really are. Really, people with hurts, habits, and hangups, which we all struggle with them, it's just we get our mind off who we really are in Christ and what God's done for us. That's really, we've lost focus. We've lost that. And, uh, man, that's, that's all so very good to be reminded of. Could you just close your eyes, lift your hands to him right now? Thank you, Jesus, that you are the deliverer from hurts, habits, and hang-ups, God. God, we've leaned on, on so many arms of the flesh and so many things. Lord, we're not against mental health. We're not against uh, drugs even to help us at times, meds. But God, you know, our dependence really ultimately is on you. It's on you. It comes back to that. And Lord, if, if I'm out of control and I'm in a cycle of despair, Lord, it's, it's a lack of surrender in, in so many ways. In so many ways, there's a lack of surrender to you, God. And I just want to recommit myself to you and uh, recommit my focus on what your word says uh, about me, Lord. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. 
You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.